All right, well, good morning. So, again, my name's Billy. I'm the executive pastor. Um, one of these Sundays, we're just going to do announcements, and it's going to be awesome. You're going to think we're going to get to preaching. We're going to go, all right, one more announcement, and then we'll dismiss, because that's, that's just fun. It feels like family that way. Um, well, so if you didn't know, we're in this communion series, and uh, there's no chance I'm going to summarize what happened last Sunday. So, yeah, so that's why we have YouTube and podcasts. So if, you, if, you're, if you're curious, what was last Sunday's communion message? It was just so rich and thick with symbolism, and, and Tyler just shared so much that I, I'm not going to try. So check it out on YouTube. <laughs> so this Sunday is obviously Palm Sunday, which is a week before the resurrection. And so I'm just going to briefly summarize the events so we're all on the same page. So Sunday is when Jesus entered Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. We read the scripture. Stephen Beale read it wonderfully, just... He, he rode the donkey, and people laid their garments down and, and palm branches down. Um, I heard a funny story about this one time. It was that uh, a young child, a young boy, got sick on Palm Sunday, and he was unable to go to church, and so his grandparents stayed with him at home. And when his parents came back and his family came back with palm branches, the little boy was like, Dad, what's the palm branches for? And his father was like, well, it was for when Jesus walked by. We, we all, the people put the palm branches down for him. And the little boy says, wouldn't you know it, the one Sunday I miss, Jesus shows up. <laughs> that was Sunday. Okay. Monday is when Jesus, it's recorded that he wept over Jerusalem. He just wept over Jerusalem, longing for them to know what it took for, for peace. And then Tuesday is when Judas made a deal with the Jewish leaders to betray Jesus. Yeah. Uh, Wednesday... Uh, there's nothing recorded uh, except that they went to life group. That was Wednesday. <laughs> Thursday is when they celebrated the Passover feast. Also, later that night, Judas betrays him in the Garden of the Gethsemane, and Peter would go on to deny him three times. And so the Last Supper is what I want to talk about more. Again, we talked about it last week. We're just going to go a little deeper again today. So in Luke chapter 22, verse 14, I'm going to read just a little bit says this, when the hour had come, <clears throat> he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, and after it had eaten, saying, this cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. So the new covenant in my blood. This is where I want to begin. Um, and kind of the roadmap for, for this morning is, there's some just major points I want to highlight regarding surrounding communion and things that, th there's this connection, he says, do this in remembrance of me. And so I just want to highlight some things we need to remember and then things we need to forget. So that's what we're going to start with. So the new covenant, <clears throat> so this is actually the first time the phrase new covenant is used in the New Testament. They had, the disciples were familiar with the old covenant. They didn't call it the old covenant. They called it the law or the Mosaic covenant. <clears throat> but so, so hearing Jesus say he's going to establish a new covenant was a, kind of a strange thing for them to hear. But what is the new covenant? Now, I can't obviously get into all of it because that's essentially all of Christian life. So it's like I'm not going to, in 30 minutes, unpack that. So, 
But I, I do want to contrast some of what is the Old Covenant with some of what is the New Covenant. And so the Old Covenant was a covenant written to the Jews. It was a, a covenant with the Jewish people. The New Covenant is with the Jews and the Gentiles, the Gentiles being everyone who's not a Jew. <clears throat> the Old Covenant, the law was written on a tablet of stone, the Ten Commandments. And in the New Covenant, the law, or the law is written on our hearts. The law of God is written on our hearts. In the Old Covenant, if you obey, the, ba the, the basic way it worked is if you obey, you're blessed with like land and kids and prosperity. And in the New Covenant, the way it works is if you repent and believe and put your faith in Christ, you receive forgiveness of sins and enter into eternal life and communion with God. And the purpose, I would say one of the main purposes of the Old Covenant was to demonstrate the divine righteousness of God and our need for forgiveness and our need for a Savior. And in the New Covenant, the purpose was to provide that righteousness, to provide that righteousness and to set us free from sin, that, that thing which separates us from God, so that we can have eternal life. And so the Old Covenant was mainly an external thing. And in the New Covenant, it starts internally. Ezekiel says it this way in Ezekiel 36, verse 36 to 37. Moreover, I will give you a new heart. This is God speaking through Ezekiel, prophesying what's to come. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe <clears throat> my ordinances. So in the New Covenant, God deals with the problem of humanity, this, this sin, this depravity, this wickedness that we struggle with, by giving us a new heart and a new spirit. And it's because of this new heart and new spirit that we have right standing with God through the righteousness of Christ. But not only that, it also provides power to, for right walking with God. So we have right standing with him because of the blood of Jesus, but now through his power we can walk rightly with God in righteousness. And the Old Covenant, it only dealt with the fruit of the problem, you know, the, the fruit of the problem of humanity by saying, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. It never got to the root, which is why in Hebrews it actually says it was faulty. Not because the law was faulty, but because we were unfaithful, that humankind was not able to obey the laws of God. So let me read that to you and unpack that just a little bit. Hebrews 8, 7 through 10 <clears throat> says this, For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. And, they will, and I will be their God, and they will be <clears throat> my people. So before, again, the old, in the old covenant, I'm, I'm repeating so I hope it's clear. It's just this external rule I have to follow. But now, what did we just read? This, it, it, he's going to put the desire in our hearts now to where we long to obey the statutes of God. See, many people believe that the new covenant <clears throat> is primarily, if not just, forgiveness of sins. Which, of course, a forgiveness of sins is like, <clears throat> is a huge part of the new covenant. But it's also freedom from sin. And I think we've forgotten that. We've forgotten that. So we need to see that it's forgiveness of sins and it's freedom from sins. 
when I was in college, I uh, created some wall art, okay? Just go with me, okay? Uh, I got five fence posts, <clears throat> and I staggered them and nailed them together. It was, it was hideous. And I, I painted it blue with a mixture of white, and I put it above my fire, the mantle place. So I thought it was cool, but I was in college. So you know, no, not to knock on the college students, but that's just what happened where I was. Uh, but on top of that, I wrote, I, I painted the words forgiven and free because I wanted to remind myself every time I walked through the living room what Christ had accomplished on the cross, that it wasn't just, I'm forgiven, now I can do what I want, but it was, I'm forgiven so that I can be free from sin the rest of my life. It's forgiveness and freedom, and freedom comes when we understand that God has given us this new heart, this new spirit. So for example, to use an illustration, again, just go with me on this, this may be weird, but uh, the old covenant was like taking a pig out for a walk. All right, you're taking a pig out for a walk, and there's a bunch of mud puddles everywhere. And so in order to not get that pig all dirty, you throw 10 leashes on it called the Ten Commandments. And so you're holding on, and the pig wants to go this way in this puddle of mud, but it's got this commandment holding it back. And so it's, it's being held back by these external things, these leashes, so that it may walk and, and be clean. But internally, it desires that filth. It desires to roll around in the mud. That's the old covenant. Now con contrast that with, say, a cat. A cat, you probably don't need the leashes. Why? Because the nature of that cat is like, I don't want to touch that mud. It'll walk, right, it, it'll walk right around. It's like, no, thank you. That's the difference. The difference is this new heart, this new spirit that God puts within us. Yeah, it's good. <clears throat> That's what's called the law of the spirit, <clears throat> rather than living according to the law written on tablets of stone. So within the New Covenant, what do we need to remember? So remember and forget. So what should we remember? There are two things that I want to share about remembrance. The first is that Christ died to take away our sins. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 1 John 3.5 also says, You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. So the New Covenant was initiated by the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. That's where it begins. And in Matthew's account of the Last Supper, he, he even shares that. He says, this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So remember, <clears throat> God can forgive your sins. That's incredible. He's a God of forgiveness. And if you feel like <clears throat> you're too ungodly or too much of a sinner or too unclean, there's really good news for you in this. In Romans 5, 6, it says, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for the ungodly. So if you've not entered into this covenant with Jesus because you felt too unclean or, or too whatever, too, too dirty or too, too much of a sinner, the good news is that he came for you. He died for you. However, if you feel like, no, I'm actually pretty good and I'm actually decently godly and I don't need this, then I'm sorry Then he didn't come for you. Then there's no room for forgiveness. He died for the ungodly, but not that you would remain ungodly, by no means, but that you would be freed from that ungodliness and walk in righteousness. So this is forgiveness. We also need to remember that Christ died to give us new life. So the, the takeaway, the, if I'm thinking of it this way, the, the negative side is he, he died to take away our sins, and the positive side, he died to give us new life. And not just any new life. It's not just, when I say new life, it doesn't mean a second chance of my old life. It's new life. 
2 Corinthians 5.14 says this, And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. When someone asks you, like, why did Jesus die? The, the, the answer is like, well, for, to forgive us for, of our sins. But also, he died so that we would no longer live for ourselves. I mean, can you imagine answering that? Someone asks, hey, why did Jesus die so you stop living for yourself? It's like, whoa. But this is what the scripture says. He didn't die just to give us, get us off death row so that we can go and live our dreams and, and, and go on our way. <clears throat> That's not new life. That's old life. He died to give us new life, which is only found in Christ. And that's freedom from sin, forgiveness and freedom. So what do we need to forget? Are there things we need to forget that have been implanted in our minds that we need to get out of our minds when it comes to the new covenant? Yes, the first thing is this. We need to forget about earning righteousness through the law. We need to forget about that. Philippians 3, 7 through 9, Paul writes this. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes through God, from God on the basis of faith. We have to forget about relating to God through our own good works and our own good efforts. That doesn't get us anywhere when it comes to receiving his righteousness. Galatians 2.21, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. You're not forgiven by God because you earned it. <clears throat> Sorry. God is in debt to no man. You did, you did not, you're not earning a wage from God. I'm sorry. He, that's not how it works. Your good does not outweigh your bad. Okay. If you thought it did, bad news, I'm breaking the bad news. It doesn't. It's like, uh, it, it, it's like if your boat has a bunch of holes in it, it, let's say you have 10 holes, and you're like, well, I plugged six holes. The good outweighs the bad. Eventually, you're going down. You are still going to sink. Unless you get rid of all the holes, there's no hope. You're going to sink. And, and if the Bible says if you've broken even just one command of God, you've broken them all, and you have an unrepairable ship, and your only salvation is someone throws you a rope, you get out of that boat and into a different one. That's your only salvation. And those who've realized that they've messed up their boats, y'all follow the metaphor in your life? <laughs> if you messed up your boat, if you, those who've realized their boat's going down are those who will receive that rope of forgiveness of sins through the blood of Christ. And those who aren't willing to admit that, they say, no, I, I can do, I, can, I, can, I just got to give more to the poor, or I just need to do this, let me plug here and plug here. Eventually, you're going, you're going to sink. Speaking of boats, there was a man by the name of John Newton who back in the 1700s found his way working for a slave trader named Mr. Crow uh, off of the western coast of Africa near Sierra Leone. And while he was there, he was treated so harshly that he himself was treated as a slave, uh, which later would fuel his, his heart for uh, be a, being a leading abolitionist. He escaped one day uh, on a merchant ship called the Greyhound. And one night, he woke up uh, on that boat to a, a, a terrible storm. A North Atlantic storm had rolled in. And he knew in that moment that if he were to die, and he believed he was going to die, <clears throat> that he would meet the Lord, and he was not ready. He wasn't ready. He had no more time. Time was up to earn any righteousness or any favor from God. 
He had lived a sinful life up to this point, and now he was faced with, faced with oh no, I can't earn my righteousness now. I may, I may die right now. It's kind of like the thief on the cross. He was, he was stuck on the cross. He, there's no getting down to earn any more righteousness. You can't do any more good deeds when you're stuck on a cross. But he said, what did he say? Lord, remember me. Have mercy. And so John Newton did the same thing. He said, Lord, have mercy. He cried out to the Lord. And the Lord encountered him in that moment. And he would go on to write that this was his anniversary of his conversion. He would write, the hour I first believed. This is the guy who wrote that beautiful hymn, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. So he asked for mercy and he received mercy because he trusted in the righteousness through faith, not through the works because he couldn't do any in that moment. And so we must forget about the righteousness, earning righteousness through the law. And the other thing we need to forget is the righteousness of the law. Whoa, what? That's confusing. Well, I just want to say the old covenant standard is not the Christian standard anymore. Let me make this clear. Jesus said, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you've, you've heard it written, don't commit murder. And in the Old Covenant, if you didn't commit, commit murder, you were good. You, were, you didn't have to sacrifice a goat for that because you didn't commit murder. You're great. But Jesus said, you've heard it written that, but I say, don't even think about it. Don't even have anger or hatred in your heart towards your brother. You've already committed murder and you're in danger of hellfire. He said, you've heard it written, don't commit adultery. But I say, don't even think about it. If you've thought about it, if you've lusted after a, a woman in your heart, you have committed adultery. Yeah. And, and the entire New Testament lays out this higher standard of holiness and righteousness that the law does not lay out. Yeah. And so we must forget about the righteousness. Because too, too often we think, oh, well, I, didn't, I haven't killed anyone, so I'm pretty good. Right. You know? I haven't actually committed adultery. But yeah, I mean, I've lusted, and yeah, I really hate that guy. And Jesus said, no, in the Old Covenant, you had to love your brother. In the New Covenant, you have to love your enemies. That's a much higher standard. This is what we must forget, the righteousness of the Old Covenant. And it's because of the New Covenant that Jesus initiated through his blood that we now have communion with Christ. I mean, this is the ultimate aim, that we would have fellowship and unity with Jesus Christ. Before in the Old Covenant, the, uh, only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies where the presence of God dwelt. And he had to go through the veil only once a year to make sacrifice for sins. But since then, Jesus tore that veil. And he's saying all are welcome in who come through this new covenant to have communion with Christ. And communion of Christ is the second main point I want to share about what we need to remember and forget. So the first thing we need to remember through the communion with Christ is that he shares everything with us. He shares everything, his death, his life, his, his resurrection, his power. He shares it with us. See, when we, when we break the bread of communion, we're not breaking it in the sense of like offering Christ's body as a sacrifice again. Like Hebrews 10 says, he's, he's made the sacrifice once and for all. He's perfected those who are being sanctified. There's one sacrifice that was on the cross. It's done. So when we break the bread, we're not like, we're not imagining, Lord, I'm breaking your bread again, or your body again to receive to receive from you. It's the other way around, actually. God is offering the sacrifice of Christ to us. He's offering his sacrifice to us, saying, Jesus is saying, like, I'm not gonna, I don't want to offer myself to God without my people. I want you, you're a part of it. You're in me. I want you in me for all of these things. It's yours. That's why he said, take this. Take it. It's my body given for you, given to you. Share in it. So in his death, is yours. His 
resurrection is yours. His sacrifice was yours for those who believe. He's offering it to us. We're deeply involved in communion. (laughs) But isn't that like the secret of the Christian life, that we are in Christ? I'm trying to explain that. We are the secret of being a Christian. Maybe it's not a secret. It's being in Jesus. The same way that he was born of the the supernatural birth and the spirit of the virgin's womb, that we also are born of the spirit and a miracle takes place in our lives. And that as we are crucified with him and the world crucified to us, we find find, uh, freedom from sin in this life. And as we walk in newness of life, we find the power of a resurrection life, the life of victory. It's when we share everything with Jesus that we actually discover what it means to be a Christian. He shares everything. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 10, 16 says this. Speaking of communion, it says this. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? He shares everything with us. That's the secret. So what do we need to forget when it comes to communion with Christ? If we remember that he shares everything... We need to forget what lies behind. We need to forget everything behind us. Philippians 3, 13 through 14. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So whatever your past, good or bad, forget it. Put it behind you. If you're going to have communion with Christ... If you want to enter in this communion, you've got to put the past behind you. So all the bad you've ever done in your life, whether it was five years ago or five days ago, put it behind you. Come to the foot of the cross. Receive forgiveness. Be washed by the blood of Christ and move on. All the good you've ever done, maybe to try to earn righteousness, the past five years, the past five days, you're you're really good. Forget it. It's not going to help you earn anything with God. You must come humbly and receive him and, and, and just follow Jesus. Don't be derailed by your failures through discouragement or by your accomplishments through pride. Just follow Jesus. And we also need to forget that we're alone because Jesus did not die on the cross and and be resurrected from the grave just to have a single solo believer on the earth wandering around with no no family. That's That's not what happened. Ephesians 2.19, he says this, Now you are no longer strangers to God and foreigners to heaven, but you are members of God's very own family, citizens of God's country, and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. You're part of the family of God. The next verse from that, 1 Corinthians 10, verse, verse 16 and 17, I'll just read it again. It says this, Is not the cup of the ble- a blessing the, which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Verse 17, Since there is one bread... We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. <clears throat> so my next main point, if, as we enter in communion with Christ, the byproduct of communion with Christ is communion with Christ's body, communion with the saints, communion with his church, his people. What do we need to remember about that? First, that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Ephesians 5.25. Christ loved the church. Again, this is one of those verses. Hey, why did Jesus die? Why did Jesus give up his life? 
Well, forgiveness of sins, yes, but also because he loved the church. He wanted to see a body built and mature. The church was worth Jesus giving up his whole life for. And anyone who's going to follow Jesus and mature and become more like Jesus will eventually start to have the same attitude towards the church. There are a lot of different attitudes towards church. And it's pretty revealing of who's really following Jesus. Because if you have, all you do is criticize church, okay, you're not, I, I can tell that you have not, you've not remembered that Christ died for that, for the church, for the bride. It's okay to be critical of the church as long as you're like Paul who was critical of it because he was willing to die for the church. He poured out his life as a drink offering, it says. Therefore, he was like, oh, I just want the church to grow up. And he was harsh. He could sound critical because he was willing to pour out. If you're just going to be critical and peace out, I'm sorry, you've forgotten that Christ loved the church. And we need to remember also that we are members of one body. We are one body. I mean, think of your own body. It's just a parable of, of what Christ came to, to build. We don't, being a member of the body doesn't mean showing up on Sunday morning to watch a performance. We're trying to get rid of that idea. That's not what the church is about. But it is a matter of showing up on Sunday morning, but it, then looking to the person to your left and right saying, I'm in this with you. It's saying, I need you. Let's run this race together. That is what the body is for. I heard a poem, a very simple poem, a very honest poem, maybe. Uh, it goes like this. To dwell above with saints I love, that will be glory. To dwell below with saints I know, that's a different story. <clears throat> <laughs> On that note, though, what do we need to forget when it comes to Christ's uh, communion with his body? What do we need to forget? And I'll just mention one thing. We need to forget who will be the greatest. We need to forget that. And this is a sad thing because literally the night he was, uh, shared the last supper with his disciples, right after he, he says the new covenant, the blood, they go out and they start bickering about who's going to be the greatest. In Luke 22, verse 24, demonstrating that they had not yet understood this new covenant. They had not been baptized into one body yet because they're literally fighting over who's going to be the greatest the night Jesus was betrayed. It's heartbreaking. And we have to forget our idea of greatness and realize Jesus said, greatness is servants, ser servanthood. Those who are great serve. I am among you as one who serves, he said in that passage. I don't think anyone's foot ever had a grudge against their own hand. I mean, March Madness is happening right now. I don't think any feet are jealous of the hand because they're the ones shooting and making the baskets. That's not how it works. Maybe a different body, but that just proves you're not part of the body. That anytime there's competition or this jealousy and this bickering, my ear is not jealous of my tongue. My liver is not jealous, you know, because uh, the tongue is, oh, the eloquence. People compliment eloquence or whatever, and no one compliments my liver, you know. <laughs> That's not how it works. My left hand is not in competition with my right hand. That's right. My, I'm left-handed. Any left-handed people here? Come on. So I do all my check signing with my left hand. My right hand is not jealous. My right hand does all the shaking. Nice to meet you. My left hand is not jealous. The only time there's competition is if it's like an arm wrestle, but it's with a different body. <laughs> so greatness is not the guy on stage or your life group leader or the guy with the mic or whatever. Greatness is serving. And when we catch that as our aim, if our aim is I want to be great for God, then serve one another. And when we do that, just like the body, the liver's totally fine serving and cleansing the body of, of junk. It's just serving faithfully. And then my teeth can faithfully serve by chewing and breaking down food so I can eat. And my hand 
faithful just to serve the body by bringing food. And I mean, it goes on. You, could, you can come with your own examples. But the aim of greatness is to serve. That's how we become one body. If we're not, if we're not serving one another, we're not a body. We're actually just two different teams. <clears throat> There's one body with Christ our head. The last thing I want to mention is in connection with taking communion. Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians uh, another exhortation uh, slash warning when it comes to communion. Um, And I just want to read it to us real quick. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 22 through 33. He says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Verse 27. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. So we see this idea of taking it in an unworthy manner from Paul. What is an unworthy manner? He says, by not discerning the body of Christ. By not discerning the body of Christ. So there are two aspects to this that I want to share. One is that when we're taking communion, uh, the point of it, Jesus said, we just read it again, is do it in remembrance. Meaning I'm going to call forth to my mind what happened. That Jesus was broken. His body was broken on the cross for me. I'm going to discern the Lord's body in this bread. Not that it is the body, but it's bringing forth the remembrance of what he did on the cross for me. And discerning that. Not thinking about the game or what's for lunch or, oh, this is a nice little midday snack. When I was younger, I I was so excited for communion at church because I just literally saw it as snack time. There was no kingdom kids. That's where I was at. So it was like, oh, this is a snack instead of Cheerios. This is great. But are you seeing his his body on the cross when you take take the bread? And are you seeing his blood being poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins when you drink the cup? That is to discern the body. But there's another body. See, Jesus' physical body is actually not here. It's, it's, it's at the right hand of the Father in heaven. But the body that is here is his church. Do you discern that body when you take the bread and cup? Do you look around and realize, I'm, taking a, I'm partaking of a family meal? Or is there strife among you? Is there something that would prevent you from taking it in a, in a worthy manner. Like, we need to get rid of anything that separates us from the people around us. If not, we may not be discerning the body of Christ that's here with us right here, right now. We have to go make things right. And so if you see the body of Christ broken in the bread, and if you see his people in it with you, the body of Christ around you, take communion. Bring forth remembrance what he's done and what he's doing through his body right now. Okay, I'm going to end by summarizing. So with the new covenant, we need to remember that Christ died for our sins to take it away, but he also died to give us new life. And we need to forget about earning righteousness through the law and the standard of the law. And with communion with Christ, 
We need to remember that he shares everything with us, and we need to forget what lies behind and forget that we're alone because we're not alone. And with communion with the saints, with his body, we need to remember that Christ really does love the church and he gave himself up for her. And we need to forget about who's going to be the greatest. <clears throat> okay, let's have the band come on up, and we'll wrap it up. Go ahead and stand. I'll share one more, one more thing. There's actually something, uh, you know, while we're talking about what we need to remember and forget, there's something I want to share about what God remembers and what he forgets. And the first thing is that in Zechariah's prophecy, John the Baptist's dad, when John the Baptist was conceived, um, he shares this prophecy, and I don't have time to read it, but I'll summarize it. And he's, but in verse 72 of Luke chapter 1, he says, To show mercy toward, his father, toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. You see, Jesus' coming was because God remembered his covenant with his people to one day send a Savior to deliver us from sin. He remembers his covenant. And if you enter into this covenant with, with Jesus, you enter into this ability to be free from sin because it's all through Christ. And the last thing I'll mention is that he forgets all our sins. He forgets our sins. Hebrews 10, 17 says this, For your sins and your lawless deeds I will remember no more. Can you believe that? Meaning he's no longer going to call, bring forth to memory when he thinks about you all the sins we've ever done in our lives. Instead, what, what comes forth in his mind is the righteousness of Christ. He forgets all your sins for those who are in this new covenant. Like that old hymn, Would You Be Free From The Burden Of Sin? There's power in the blood. Would you be free? I heard a story of a preacher who was getting ready to leave church service, turning off lights, and there was an old lady at the front just weeping. She was like 70. <clears throat> and he went to her and said, dear, what's wrong? And, and she said, 20 years ago, I did the most terrible thing. And if anyone knew about it, oh gosh, I would be just so, I would be an outsider with my family and friends. And I've been begging God for 20 years to forgive me, and he never has. And the preacher said, oh, I'm so sorry. Listen, 20 years ago, when you asked God and you confessed your sin before him, he forgave you, yeah. and he forgot it. Yeah. And for 20 years, he's been saying to you, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And she, she responded saying, no, 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 I, I just can't believe that. You're just saying that to make me feel better. And he proceeded to show her the scriptures and the, and the Hebrews and New Testament. And eventually she came to the realization that God had truly forgiven her and forgotten everything. And she was righteous. And she ended up dancing around the church alone, just a little old lady celebrating the freedom that God provided. <laughs> it is hard to believe. There may be some in this room right now who are like, I've done some bad stuff. But it's true. It's true that those who repent of their sins, who put their faith in Christ, God says, I will remember your sins no more. He remembers your sins no more. I'll just share this real quick because we were singing a song earlier and I saw it and I said, like, oh, that's, that's, that's in the scripture right here. But 
the song we sang, there was a verse that said, the marriage of the Lamb has come. And in Luke 22, if you remember, I read in the very beginning, he said, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the day comes for the fullness of the kingdom of God. I won't drink of it again. But one day, so he connected the Last Supper with this thing called the Future Supper. It was called this, this banquet to come, the marriage of the Lamb. And so right now, when we take the bread and the wine, we do it in remembrance. But one day, we won't need the, we won't need the reminder. We won't need to take the bread and the cup anymore because we'll have Jesus in the flesh here with us. And that is something we can look forward to. Every time we take the bread and the wine, remember to yourself, I don't know how many more times I'm going to take this. There's coming a day when I won't have to do this anymore because Christ will be with us. And he will be our light. And he will be our God. And we will be his people. It's amazing. <laughs> so we're just going to worship. And I just want to offer this new covenant to some here right now who maybe not entered it. <clears throat> and maybe it's, maybe it's both the sense of I've never been forgiven and I'm definitely not free. Or maybe it's just I've been forgiven, but I've not been free. And so I just want to ask right now, if there's, if there's someone in this room who has never understood what Jesus came to do to take away your sins, that God would forget your sins and make you righteous through faith, not because you earned it, I just want you to raise your hand if you've never received forgiveness of sins like that. Just go ahead and raise your hand if that's you. And if you need the power to be free from sin, recognize this, this covenant that you're in. Maybe you don't, it's like, it's like a contract you didn't read all the way through. It's like, oh, it's in the contract. I'm actually allowed to be free from sin. There's power to it. I want you to receive that this morning. Just receive it. Respond as you feel led. And then, of course, feel free to take uh, the bread and the cup. So, Father, we thank you so much that you have come to give us fellowship with you, communion with you, and with your saints. And we ask that this morning, if you've spoken to, to any one of us, that it would just go deep in our hearts, that the seed that was planted would grow and bring forth the fruit of righteousness. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your body being broken on the cross. And thank you for giving us a body to fellowship with, to be a family with. We honor you, Lord. We ask that you receive glory in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.